I love sort of weird uh, uh, confluences of, of a couple of things. And I think a lot of us like that. You know, when you see something like a, a, a kitten that made friends with a turtle, you, you know, you see those videos, you see stuff like that. I just like those sorts of things. Uh, I also have uh, no small amount of uh, Scottish heritage in me. Uh, my last name is MacDonald. Uh, and so I'm one of those people that likes the bagpipes. Listen, the bagpipes get a really bad reputation. The bagpipes are a beautiful instrument. They're wonderful. <laughs> so when I saw uh, bagpipes combined with something a little unique, I thought that I would share this with you. Uh, maybe we can bring the, the lights down just a bit so you can see this well. Because this was great. This is a confluence between bagpipes uh, and something else that I wasn't really expecting. Yes, Scotland the Brave. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you bagpiping combined with bungee jumping. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why? I don't know. <laughs> because he could, <laughs> because no one else had ever done that before. I, I love his commitment to it. I, I mean, he finishes the whole tune. He does, I, I think you notice, when he first steps off or is almost sort of let go <laughs> by the other guy, he kind of falters a little. But boy, he did better than I would have done under the circumstances. I, I love it when these two things come together so beautifully. And yet, uh, the reality is, uh, if we ask the question, did the world need a combination of bagpipes and bungee jumping? We would probably all agree no. That's probably not necessary, right? If I'd never seen this video, if I hadn't just shared it with all of you, I, we all would have gotten along okay with our lives. You know, things would have moved on. Probably none of you had a hole in your heart that thought, why haven't I seen bagpipes and bungee jumping put together before? I just feel empty on the inside, you know? I don't think any of us would have thought that. What's really great is when two things uh, come together that are meaningful, that are important. And I want to take a look today at a passage. It's a favorite passage of mine. We've been studying together uh, the book of James, the letter of James. But I'm going to take a break from that again uh, this Sunday and just do something uh, kind of special. Uh, we do that occasionally. It's, and again, this is a favorite uh, story of mine. There's this 50 cent Bible word that is very frequently used, pericope. If you see it on the page, it looks like pericope. But if you don't know what a pericope is, it's a, it's a pericope. And a pericope is just one of these sort of narrative chunks. It's a chunk of scripture. It's a chunk 
of this biblical account of Jesus and his life and his ministry. This is one of these accounts, one of these pericopes. And I want you to go to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5 this morning. We're going to start in verse 12. So Luke chapter 5. If you don't know right where Luke is, don't be afraid to use your table of contents. (laughs) Your Bible has one. It's okay. And then you'll notice that those chapters are arranged numerically. It makes it really easy for you to find. So Luke chapter 5 and verse 12 says this, while he was in one of the cities, the he there is Jesus and the disciples that he's called. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And the idea there is if you will is like if you will it. Many of your translations say if you are willing. That's the idea. If you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will, or I am willing, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And we can finish this this little pericope. And he charged him to tell no one. But he said, go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But Jesus would withdraw to desolate places and pray. There is so much going on in this little story, in this little pericope, this narrative. Uh, And and a lot of this, uh, it's helpful for us just to talk about their culture, their time. I mean, the first thing that we notice really immediately is just this whole uh, idea of leprosy, the disease of leprosy. I, I think many of us are familiar with that disease, but familiar in just sort of a, a, a story way. You know, we've read about it here. The reality is there are occasional cases of leprosy still in our world today, even in the United States, but it's pretty rare and it is very treatable. Um, it is an infectious disease of the skin. It can be transmitted, but it does take pretty close touch contact in order to be transmitted that way. And if it's caught relatively early, it's pretty easy to treat. There are a, 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 a combination of medications that are used to treat it. They re, the, the disease responds well to those medications in most cases. So we don't really hear much about it. Leprosy is this thing that seems kind of removed from us. It was a lot more common in their time. And because medicine hadn't advanced to the point where it is now, because they didn't have these medications available to them, it was much more devastating in the biblical world than it is now. Now, I'm not suggesting that any of us would love to receive that diagnosis, but it was a a far more serious thing then. Because what leprosy meant, because they did understand this, they did understand that it was infectious, that it could be passed from person to person. And there was a great deal of fear about it because leprosy untreated is devastating. It wipes a person out. And because of that, these people who had leprosy were really cut off from their community. 
in a, in a huge way. They didn't just get to go to a hospital and be treated. They were just cut off. And in fact, even more so, not only was this just a health concern, but in the time of Jesus, in this Jewish world, it was also sort of a, a religious and even a legal concern. You notice how Jesus talks about Moses there? How he says something about, you know, do what Moses told you to do? Moses comes uh, uh, hundreds of years before this, right? But he's referring to the law, the Mosaic law that God gave to Moses way back before when the Israelites were at Mount Sinai and he gave them this law and it had all sorts of things in it. One of those things was what to do in the case of leprosy. And one of the things that they needed to be real careful of was to not transmit this within their community. But there was also this allowance that if your leprosy went away, if you were healed of leprosy, there was this means to go to the priest, to go to the temple, the tabernacle originally, but then later to the temple, to see the priest and to bring a sacrifice and to be sort of religiously declared clean so that you could be restored to fellowship with your community. And for the Israelites, this was maybe even more important than just you know their socializing. This idea of being able to go to tabernacle and then later on to go to temple, to worship with their people, this was deeply significant to the people of Israel in a really powerful way. And to not be able to do that, to not be able to bring sacrifices to the temple, to not be able to come and join in the, in the fellowship and the singing, these psalms. You know, we read all of these psalms. So many of them were used as worship songs in the temple courtyard. There's a whole series of psalms called the Psalms of Ascent that were sort of used as, as you would ascend this long stairway up to the temple mount. I mean, all of this stuff, you would be cut off from all of that. And so just... The idea that he has leprosy is really devastating. But there's something else here. See, he's kind of broken the law a little bit, if we're being honest. Because the account tells us that he came to Jesus. And we just stop right there. If you were a leper in the old world, you're not supposed to come to anybody. In fact, here's how this works. If you were a leper in this, in this biblical time, if you saw anybody getting remotely close to you, you were duty-bound to start yelling, leper, 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 so that they wouldn't get too close to you. Because again, it's an infectious disease. And while now we know that it, it actually requires relatively close contact, they didn't necessarily understand all that. So they were terrified of it. And so when I say cut off from community, I really mean cut off. But what this guy does in his desperation is he approaches Jesus. Now, right there, he could have been arrested he could have been punished i mean if we're being honest what he's done is kind of not quite kosher if you will you know but he does it and i love this guy because he comes and he throws himself at jesus's feet 
he approaches him and humbles himself. And I love the amount of faith this guy has. I wish we knew his name. Don't you wish we knew his name? I love his faith. Because you notice what he says? He doesn't say, I'm really hoping you can do something. I wish you could do something. He states pretty unequivocally, I know that you can fix this. I know you can. If you're willing. Here you have a man, and I... I'm always careful, you know, when I do this. I, I don't want to go too far beyond what we have in God's Word and read too much between the lines. But, but I think sometimes it's, it's good for us to just sort of put ourselves in these shoes, too. Just kind of stop and imagine what this would have looked like. Because otherwise, you know, you read past some of this stuff so quickly, and we're almost numb to it. But this is a guy who had missed out on untold family dinners, on birthdays, on get-togethers. You think he was married? If he was, he'd even been cut off from his wife. He had missed out on worship in the temple with his community, with his people. And we don't know exactly how long this had been going on. But do you understand how lonely, how just exhausted, cut off? Add to that just the symptoms of of leprosy itself and, and the potential pain, the neuropathy, the, 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 all of the, the side effects of this terrible disease that he'd been dealing with and been dealing with relatively alone. And now he's heard of Jesus. And he's heard, and, and I don't, I mean, maybe you've put two and two together just because of its proximity to the beginning of Luke's book here. But this is relatively early on in Jesus' ministry. In fact, this is one of the things that causes even more buzz to be circulated about Jesus. But somehow he's heard of him. Somehow he has this sense that this is the Son of God and that he can help me. And he knows it. He says, I know that you can heal me. You can make me right if only you're willing. Now at that point, Jesus could have said, get away from me. What is wrong with you? You're supposed to be warning me from like a hundred yards away that you're a leper. I mean, what what have you done to come and, and put yourself right by my feet? But instead, Jesus does something really incredible and I don't want you to miss this Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him 
this little scene breaks my heart. And as a kid who was raised in church and who has read some of these stories so many times, I will readily admit to you, I didn't notice this until adulthood and somebody else pointed it out to me. But somebody said, you notice how he touched him? I said, yeah, so what? Why did Jesus touch him? Let me just ask this question differently. Was Jesus required to touch him in order to perform this miracle? Shake your head, no. (laughs) Weren't there other instances where Jesus performed miracles without a touch of this nature? There were instances where Jesus performed miracles where, um, I, I mean, you know, say from here, to the city of Ellensburg, you know, to put it in our... I mean, he did it from whole other cities when he would just speak and say, yeah, it's done, go home. Jesus has no need to touch him. It's not necessary. So why did he touch this man? You ever stop to think about that? And I think we have a hint of this in one of the other gospel writers accounts of this same story mark you want to turn back to mark marks the book before luke so keep flipping backwards in luke you'll see the end of mark and then keep flipping backwards through mark until you get to mark chapter one mark chapter one we get this same story starting in verse 40 And it's so interesting and so fascinating. We've got four different gospel writers that look at Jesus from slightly different angles. They have slightly different details often. John, he's kind of out there on his own. He's got a whole different set of stories that that Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't always cover, you know. They're very different and they give us different sorts of views. What's really interesting about this to me is that this isn't typically a a Mark thing to do. In fact, it seems more frequently like it would be a Luke thing to do. But Mark includes this really fascinating, amazing little detail. Mark chapter 1, verse 40, And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you're willing, you can make me clean. And Mark adds this detail, moved with pity. A lot of you have filled with compassion. (laughs) Is that not just beautiful? This isn't just a a cold, calculating action on Jesus' part. In fact, Mark tells us he was filled with compassion. He was moved with pity. You know what compassion is. You know what pity is. It's when you feel sorry for someone. You feel sorry for their plight. You, a word we often use is, is empathy. You empathize with them. You don't just recognize on some sort of an intellectual level that there's a problem. You have a sense of, of how hard that problem really is. You feel for them. And what we're told here is that Jesus, in that moment, felt for this man. He was moved by this man's plight. 
and filled with compassion and moved by pity. So let me ask you again, why did he touch him? It's such a small, almost insignificant detail, isn't isn't it? Until you just sort of slow down and stop and, and we put ourselves in the shoes of the people of this time and in their culture and really start thinking about this and then the light goes on. That Jesus, in this moment, filled with compassion for this man that he knows he's God. He knows what this man's plight is. He knows that he's been cut off from his community, that as a leper, that he has missed out on those dinners, those family gatherings, the birthdays, the religious feasts and festivals, the worship in the temple, all of it, that he's been cut off, that he's alone, that he's desperate. And it doesn't just register intellectually, he's filled with compassion. And the fact that Jesus reaches out, and the Bible says he threw himself at his feet, so I imagine he's kind of reaching down and touches this man. Do you know how long it might have been since that man experienced any sort of touch whatsoever? No hugs. No, uh, as is so frequent in the, in the Middle East still, you know, the kiss on the cheek. No, to think of things in our way, maybe. No handshakes or fist bumps or high fives. Nothing. And he comes in desperation. And Jesus, moved by pity, filled with compassion, tells him, I am willing and then reaches out and touches him. It's the most beautiful thing about this little narrative to me. The healing's great. Don't get me wrong. But when the light bulb went on in my head and I thought, time out. Jesus did what? (laughs) He took the time not only to heal him, but to touch him. What a beautiful Savior. And of course, the miracle occurs. The Bible says that immediately the leprosy left him. I mentioned before, you know, when we deal with leprosy today, we employ these medications they can, I've read, take up to six months to really you know, fully run their course. I mean, even the advancements that we've made today hold no candle to what God did there in an instant. <laughs> it says the leprosy left him. He was clean immediately. Why? Because Jesus was moved with compassion, filled with it. But I love these ideas. You know, I I pointed out the fact that nobody's going to die if we don't get 
the combination of bagpiping and bungee jumping. No one probably would have missed that, although I am delighted to have seen it. (laughs) But had I not seen it, I would have been okay. But we often use these terms, able and willing. If you're able and willing, or if someone is able and willing, they're pretty important terms. It's all well and good to be able to do something, but to be unwilling to do it. To be in a position to offer help, to have the resources to offer help, to have the ability to to do something, but to not have the willingness to do the thing, the thing's probably not going to happen. And conversely, it's all well and good to have willingness, but to have no ability. It would be great if I said, I, I am really willing to just fix the, the whole uh, budget deficit of our country that I've been hearing about ever since I was a kid. You know, I'm re- I'd, I'd really like to fix that. It's great to say, but I have no ability to do so. I'm not able. This combination of these ideas of able and willing are really powerful. That combination is powerful. It is, as it turns out, really important, isn't it? To be willing and able. And that's what I love from this very simple, frankly, pretty short story. It's because we have a picture of our God as willing and able. I love that Jesus just says very simply, because the man has come to him and he said, if you're willing, I know you can do this. And Jesus just says very simply, yeah, I am willing. And then proves, yeah, I can do this. (laughs) Able and willing. Willing and able. See, that's our God. I think another thing that is interesting about this story, and something that would have jumped off the page to a first century Jew reading it that might not always hit us. Is it in the Bible, leprosy is one of those things that is often very symbolic of sin. It's symbolic of our, uh, I'm going to make up a word again, our cut-offedness from God, right? This problem that we have by which we have uh, stuff that isn't righteous and isn't holy and isn't perfect and just as God is, that we've got this stuff in our lives, this sin issue. And very frequently in the Bible, it was very clear to the people of Israel that leprosy was one of those kind of symbolic stand-ins for that idea. And so you see part of what's happening here. Very early in Jesus's ministry, there's this statement being made. Because as it turns out, what Jesus came to do was not simply to heal this one leper. Now, it's a beautiful story. It's an incredible story. But as it turns out, that's not what he was to do. I think this miracle is in part just pointing to... Now, we've been told Jesus was moved and and filled with compassion. We were told that. So I don't want to make this overly clinical. But part of what this is trying to do is to point ultimately to Jesus' ultimate mission, which is to save the whole world from its sin, 
from its leprosy, if you will. And I think to those Jews who were attentive, they would have thought, oh, okay. Yeah, Messiah, sin, leprosy, healing, salvation. They would have started to put those pieces together and to connect those dots. And I think there's still good dots for you and I to connect today. No matter where you are on your spiritual journey, it's good for us to be reminded of this today. It's good for us to be reminded of this every day, isn't it? No matter where we are. Now, this may be about the thousandth time you've heard these dots connected. That's great. I still think it's valuable. This may be the first time you've heard these dots connected. That's great, too. That's amazing. But I do want all of us, whether it's the first time or the thousandth time, to see these dots connected, that we have a God who is willing and able. Hallelujah. That that's our God. That you have a God that when He sees your plight, your hurt, your brokenness, no matter what it is, that He's filled with compassion. That He's moved by pity. And that, as it turns out, He is entirely willing to make you whole. That's important to remember. Because, again, no matter whether this is the first time or the thousandth time, maybe you've, you've heard this message, it can be real easy to start to think of God as someone who is kind of distant, who's kind of over us, who can't really be bothered by us, who when we come to him is going to roll his eyes and say, oh, you again. And I'm a firm believer that that is the devil whispering those messages into our ear. But it's real easy for us to believe them. And to start thinking, I've just, I've gone too many times. He's got to be sick of me by now. Because heaven knows I would be sick of me if I were him, you know. <laughs> and the reality is he's not. The reality is we see in this just really small snapshot, our God has compassion. In that psalm that we read, he's, he's in fact filled with compassion and with mercy and with pity. Not only does he see your plight, he empathizes with your plight. And he is willing to fix it. He is willing to heal, to repair, to restore. But again, it would be well and good if he were willing, but sort of unable to do anything about it. And the power of the message we have in the Bible is that he is willing and he's able. You and I, not so able. Because we're talking about a God who's perfectly holy and righteous and just. And we can't meet that standard. It's not possible. 
It doesn't matter how hard we try. I've used the example before. It's somewhat like trying to long jump across the Grand Canyon. A lot of you would certainly be able to long jump farther than me, but I guarantee none of you is going to long jump to the other side. I mean, it's that sort of gulf we're talking about, right? And it doesn't matter if you can jump farther than me or if other people can jump farther than you. What matters is we can't get there without some pretty huge assistance. But we have a God who is willing and who is able. Hallelujah. That's your God, see? That's your God. Who is willing, who is filled with compassion, and who is simultaneously perfectly able to affect miraculous change in your life. I want you to hear me really carefully. This is not some sort of health and prosperity gospel. That is not what I'm suggesting. I'm not going to tell you that God wants you to be rich or that God never wants you to be sick. That's not what the Bible teaches. What I am suggesting is you have a God who cares profoundly about you, who is moved by compassion over you. He cares. He loves you. And furthermore, he is infinitely capable to affect your situation. That's a beautiful thing. If you're here with us, and again, this is the thousandth time or more that you've heard this, I want you to be reminded of this this morning. Of how willing and how able your God is. Especially that willing part. I think we're more likely to remember the able part. Maybe that's not true for you. I don't want to speak for you. But we seem to have a somewhat easier time wrapping our heads around God being omnipotent, being all-powerful. Where we're not quite so sure about all the time is the fact that he really cares about me. Because how could he? But the reality is, he does. And not only does he care, I just love this really simple picture of Jesus making a point of offering human touch to this man as he tells him, yeah, I'm willing. (laughs) And then that leprosy was gone. My strong suspicion is that none of you are dealing with leprosy as a medical diagnosis this morning. Praise God, right? But that symbolism of, of leprosy in the Bible, you are dealing with that. We all have to deal with that. To come face to face with the fact that, spiritually speaking, we have a sickness, we have an illness. And we can't just affect our own situation, but praise God, He can. And He's willing to do so. So willing that He came to this earth as a human, took on humanity, so that he could live and minister and offer himself up as a perfect, sinless sacrifice on my behalf and on your behalf 
so that we might be made clean. There was no other way. Part of the story of the Bible is to demonstrate that. And, and could we as a, as a race follow the law perfectly and follow the... No, nobody's ever been able to do it. And finally, I think God says, do you get now that there's just no other way? Now, let me show you the fix. Because as it turns out, I am willing and I am able. Here's Jesus. Who was crucified on my behalf on a Roman instrument of torture. And they took him down off of that cross and they put his body in the tomb. And on the third day after that, he got up out of the tomb, rolled the stone away and left to demonstrate that nothing, not even death, was going to hold him down. Hallelujah. And he did that for you. That's your God who was moved by compassion and said, I am willing and I am able and here's the fix. And if you've trusted Jesus as your own Savior for decades now, it's still a powerful message for you and I to hear and to be reminded, your God is willing and your God is able to heal you, to fix you, to restore you, to reconcile you to himself. Now, I get really excited when I think about whether or not you might be here and you've never put your trust in Jesus Christ. That's what really gets me fired up. Because I have no idea where everyone is. And I'm not just saying that because we've got some visitors today that I haven't met yet. And even those of you I know, I mean, at the end of the day, it's really tough for me to know it's between you and the Lord. But if you've never personally put your own faith and trust, if you've never thrown yourself at the feet of Jesus and said, I need help, and I'm ready to trust that you can heal me, that you can save me, that you can make me whole, that you can make me a child of God. And if you're willing, I know you can do it. And to hear Jesus say simply, oh, I'm willing. <laughs> that gift is for you this morning. You may be sitting in this room. You may be watching from someplace else online. But that gift is for you this morning. And if you have never accepted it, today is the day of salvation. This is the day. There is nothing standing in your way. We get so good about saying, well, I'll, okay, i I got to fix some things first. But no, you don't. He'll fix you. He asks you to come in all of your leprosy, in all of whatever it is that's hurting you, that's, that's crushing you, and to just throw yourself at his feet and say, okay, God, I trust Jesus. I'm ready to trust Jesus. That's it. I understand that he's the one who is willing and able to fix me. And I just want to put my life in his hands. And the Bible promises that when you do that, you will be saved. It does not say you might be saved. It does not say that you've got a pretty decent chance. 
It says, you will be saved. As the Apostle Paul said to the jailer in Philippi, when that jailer threw himself at at Paul's feet and said, what do I need to do to be saved? Paul just said really simply, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. That's it. That's it. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, this God, this Savior, who is moved by compassion at you, by you, who empathizes with you, but praise him, he is willing, and he is able to rescue you, to give you salvation, to make you his adopted child, to welcome you into his family, to give you eternal life simply by recognizing that he is the one who is willing and able. That's the invitation to you this morning. And again, if you accepted that invitation decades ago, praise God. But maybe you've still needed to hear this morning and be reminded of the compassion that your God has for you. And if you've never accepted that invitation, this gift that God is just handing you, and said, I've done the work for you in Jesus Christ. It's yours. Take it. Then by all means, take it. I'm going to ask you to do something that might take you out of your comfort zone, just a little. But as uh, Robert mentioned earlier, I'm typically in the back. I love to, to greet you and talk with you. But if you've made that decision for the first time today, as we go together in prayer, I would love for you to tell me. I would love to celebrate with you, to just rejoice with you. And if you are watching from online and you can't talk to me in person, feel free to email me. I would just love to know that I've got a new brother or a new sister in Jesus Christ this morning and to encourage you. We have a good God, don't we? Don't we have a good God who is not only willing, but who is able to rescue and to save? Our Father God, we praise you that you are a God of compassion. That you are a God who's not just distant or cold or clinical about our situation. I love this story, this reminder of Jesus just being moved filled with compassion at the plight of this man who threw himself at his feet. So much so, he took the extra step to reach out his hand and touch this dear man while he told him, yeah, I'm willing. And healed him in the blink of an eye. But God, this message is for all of us. At the end of the day, the most important part of this isn't about a physical malady that was cured. The most important part of this is this spiritual malady that we all have, that we all need to deal with, and you've given us the cure. It's Jesus. And Father, in the quietness of this time as we close together, I pray that you would just impress on every single one of us. It's a message that the devil tries to distort, that the devil tries to steal from us, just the simple fact that you are both willing and able, that you are a God who's compassionate, who's moved, 
who has pity. And God, we want to pray as a church community especially for anyone here with us this morning that might not have that salvation, that today would be the day that they would hear and recognize themselves in this picture. That Jesus stands willing and able to rescue and to save. And that all you've asked us to do is to have simple faith in that. Not to jump through a bunch of hoops, not to say special words, but simply to know and to believe and to have faith in what your word tells us. God, we pray that if anyone hasn't done yet that yet this morning, that this would be their time, that you would draw themselves to you powerfully right now. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for our salvation, for your goodness and grace and love and your compassion that you've exercised on our behalf. We love you, God. We praise your name. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.